Hello, Where's my name it? is Rick Napier. I'm the the founder of Real People USA based in California and uh, the Real People USA podcast. We talk with real people and we talk with real people from around the, the country and often or I should say on occasion from around the world. And we like to talk about things political. We like to talk about things in, involving our economy and capitalism. And we also like to give people who have, um, you know, political point of view, who perhaps may be running for office. And we do have a guest coming on pretty soon about that. We like to talk to those people too. So, but we don't exclude anybody from coming on the Real People USA show. So if you have a perspective that you want to talk about, we won't criticize it, but we will have some questions. So today, as a podcast guest on the Real People USA show, we have Dr. Colleen Huber, and she's a, um, a, a naturopathic doctor in the Tempe, Arizona area. And so now she's a third time guest. So I'm so glad that she decides that she wants to come and talk on the Real People USA. So good afternoon, Dr. Huber. How are you doing? Thank you so much. I appreciate you having me on very well. And you? Oh, I'm doing pretty good too. And I tell you what, we both, I know you probably, I'm, obviously you have more expertise, probably like a, a billion times more than I do. But I picked up on this article about this Missouri uh, chiropractor who was, um, I mean, he had some things happen to him and perhaps you can uh, give the listeners like a, like the, 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 the sequence of events that happened to this, this doctor, this chiropractor. But can you explain, and before we talk about, before I ask you the questions, what happened with this chiropractor in Missouri? Well, my understanding was, I, and I just learned about him uh, just only about a week ago, that he had made uh, YouTube videos uh, discussing COVID-19. And as a healthcare professional, he was giving his professional opinion. And uh, he was talking about the value of vitamin D and zinc. Uh, so that's my understanding of what he had done. But uh, apparently there is a new, uh, I don't even know if it should be called a law, more like an edict because I can't imagine it's constitutional. Anyway, it's called COVID-19 Consumer Protection Act. And what the news story I read said that is Dr. Nipute, Dr. Eric Nipute, um, chiropractor in Missouri is the first one charged under this law and the law says don't provide false information regarding COVID-19. Uh, I actually reached out to Dr. Nipute and I said I know that you're not providing false information. In fact I've just written a book on the subject and I have over 500 studies showing that you're providing true information. So uh, anyway um, I I don't think that uh, any charges against him can go anywhere because uh, he didn't provide information without evidence. And even if he did, uh, you know, medical opinions have never been squashed by force of law in the United States. What I, I would say uh, no lay person should be told you're not allowed to have an opinion about health medicine. But definitely a healthcare professional to try to tell him he's not allowed to have an opinion, uh, that, that better be squashed really quick. I mean, the people who are trying to charge him must never have heard of the First Amendment of the U.S. Constitution. Yeah, I tell you what, just, just on, the, just on the, what you just said, 
I can go to two different doctors with the same uh, you know, uh, problem or health problem that I could have and get two different, uh, perhaps maybe, not, maybe two different diagnoses, but maybe two different ways of, or two different remedies to solve the problem. When one, may, one might be surgery, one might be uh, a prescription, one may be another alternative, one might be an alternative solution. So just so for the fact that there's multiple solutions for a, a health situation just makes that, what do you call it, the consumer the COVID-19 Consumer Protection Act, where a doctor cannot uh, talk about alternatives or cannot express his or her opinion, that sounds almost preposterous. <laughs> yes, it certainly does, and quite dangerous. I mean, this is, a, this is really a quite Orwellian uh, sort of thing where doctors must uh, toe the party line and not give their medical opinion. Uh, so I think, uh, I have confidence that Dr. Nitute will have plenty of material to uh, really fight back hard against this. Yeah, and uh, yeah. I certainly would if they had targeted me, you know. Oh, gosh, you know what? I don't think they would like to target you, Dr. Colleen. I, mean, I just don't think them. I don't think that would be wise on their part. <laughs> uh, well, uh, you might want to talk to the uh, Arizona Naturopathic Medical Board because uh, there's some shenanigans there going on right now. I have to say. Oh my goodness! That when well, they cancel, when they cancel, uh, you know, target you for mistreating patients. Uh, like, for example, I've been in practice 14 years. No patient has ever complained that I ever caused them harm, nor was negligent or anything like that. Not one patient complaint of harm. Yet, uh, the medical board for three years has been saying, hmm, how are we going to go after her? Oh, we don't like her website. Uh, no, I had to dismiss that. Oh, um, somebody didn't like a doctor she worked with. Uh, no, that wasn't really a valid complaint either. Oh, I know. We'll get her on the chart now. Yeah, we'll get her on the chart notes. So then they start this sucker's game where, well, you didn't write the chart notes the way we want. So go ahead and write some more. Oh, you didn't write them the way we want. Oh, well now there's going to be uh, further consequences. So we're waiting to see um, how they try to play out this sucker's game. Wow. Anyway, uh, but hey, the threats have been there against me for three years. Oh my goodness. Hey, for our yes, listeners who are okay. first time. Hey, for our listeners who are first time, please give our listeners like a like a, a short bio on yourself, so that they would know they're talking to the like a, a like the real, I mean, a very successful naturopathic doctor. I must add. So please give our listeners a little bio on yourself. Certainly, I'm a naturopathic medical doctor, and in Arizona, I've been practicing for 14 years. My focus is on cancer patients. I'm a naturopathic oncologist. And so uh, that's what I do. Um, that is my day job. And uh, I, you know, we we've had a really good success at our clinic. Our clinic has published the longest and largest study in medical history. Still, the um, looked at cancer patients and their diets for seven years, and uh, we found that the people who avoided sweets had far higher rates of remission than people who continued to eat sweetened foods. Um, and, uh, you know, we use a variety of natural treatments against cancer. Some, some of our patients choose to have chemotherapy and some choose 
Most choose not to, but either way, it's okay. We don't, uh, you know, we don't tell them they have to do this or that. These are very difficult decisions for people to make. So I don't tell people, oh, you must do this or you must do that. And besides, it's not my place to tell them anyway. It's their, their bodies and I respect the choices. Um, so that's my day job. But in the, for the last 10 months, in my free time, I've been writing about COVID-related issues. So uh, we've written enormous number of uh, articles about uh, masks and the hazards of masks, lockdown, social distancing. And I wrote uh, more recently about vitamin D, vitamin C, uh, other uh, tools that can be used against COVID. And I put them together in a book that I just wrote, The Defeat of COVID, which is on Amazon. Got it. Well, thank you very much. So I do have a few questions to ask you. And thanks for your time today, by the way. So Thank we're you. now into, let's see, depending on who you ask, we're, we're, we're into either the 12th or 14th month of COVID-19 or maybe 16 months, depending on when it started. And I, my question is, or is it kind of early right now for us to say we can defeat COVID-19? And in other words, how can we know when the pandemic is about, you know, 12, 12 months, 16 months old? Well, uh, doctors and, and researchers have been busy all over the world in every continent except Antarctica. Uh, there have been study after study. I, I actually found uh, 500 studies. Uh, not all of these are related specifically to COVID, but many of them are um, of various nutrients and, um, that can be used and various tools, uh, pharmaceuticals that can be used against COVID-19. And uh, some of them have hundreds of studies. Uh, for example, hydroxychloroquine has got well over 200 studies, um, clinical trials w with a control group and a, and a uh, experimental group using hydroxychloroquine in COVID-19 patients. So uh, we've got an enormous amount of uh, research already because the world's attention has been focused, like laser focused on this topic uh, for the last year. Uh, there's been quite a bit of activity so, yeah, you wouldn't think that uh, this soon there would be that much activity, but I guess 7.8 billion people can get kind of busy. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Now, regarding hydroxychloroquine, at first, maybe this time last year, March, April, May of, this, this, of last year, a lot of the so-called experts, mainly in the government, were saying that hydroxychloroquine or HCQ was not an effective treatment and i think i read about two or three months ago now that we have a different person in the white house they're now saying that hcq is an effective treatment what do you think happened for uh, um, this this hcq to be considered or labeled uh, not effective and you know 12 months later it's, it's good now well I think the most cynical among us think the point of this whole exercise of the last year was to have a vaccine that would be very widely sold and uh, that mega profits would be made off, uh, you know, having a majority of American adults take it. I think that was the goal. Hasn't been reached yet. Anyway, uh, but what were what was a really serious competitor to that it would have been an effective drug. Um, actually, this vaccine is being used illegally by the FDA's own rules. The FDA only allows emergency use authorization specifically if there are no effective treatments 
for the disease in mm. question. However, we have five very effective treatments, at least. I mean, some would argue some of the steroids as well, other pharmaceuticals. But anyway, um, I discussed uh, five in my book. I would say four of them are super strong and um, have been proven to be so, and were proven to be so long before the uh, vaccines came out. So really that emergency use authorization really isn't authorized by the FDA's own rules. So that was part of the problem. You had to pretend that they had to pretend that hydroxychloroquine was ineffective, even when studies all over the world, um, like I say, numbering over 200 now, show that it is quite effective. And in fact, the um, meta-analysis uh, authors estimate that for hydroxychloroquine, for, for us who have made a mistake about that, for hydroxychloroquine to be ineffective, the chance of that is one in 327 quadrillion. Oh, gosh. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> That's a huge number. So now I think, I think yes. this, see, again, you are the first person that has clearly uh, exp explained why the experts would not allow another type treatment to, to sit to stand alongside the COVID vaccines. So you're saying that the only way that they could have used uh, the COVID-19 vaccines is if there were not another alternative that would be comparable to provide, you know, a, a solution. Right. Oh my goodness. We've been, we've been bamboozled again, Dr. Huber. Yes. 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 Definitely. And that's in the FDA uh, webpage, and I can actually send you a link for that. Um, and I have it in an information sheet that I've written on the COVID-19 vaccines, which is on primarydoctor.org. Uh, I wrote an information sheet on vaccines. You can see that from the homepage, primarydoctor.org. You can see COVID vaccine considerations. And in there is the FDA's own prohibition of doing the emergency use authorization. Oh. So they violated their own rules. Oh yeah, goodness. but uh, you know, I, a big part of the problem for them was that hydroxychloroquine is cheap and very low cost. And if you think that's low cost, ivermectin is even cheaper. So <laughs> ivermectin is is extremely strong against COVID. And uh, yeah, interesting. So, well, here's my next question: What are the strongest actions a family, an individual, or a business or a community can take against? COVID-19. I know that's a broad question. So if you you can answer that however you like, if you want to talk about the family, the individual or the business or community, because I know that there's all different types of, of, of plans people are trying to implement and they're starting to, um, uh, they're, they're starting to cancel out each other. I mean, it's, it's, it's almost like a, like a race to, to like a, a destination that's unknown. All these different rules are being pop are popping up where if you want to attend a sports facility, you have to have, uh, you have to be fully vaccinated. If you want to take a flight, you have to be fully vaccinated or you can uh, uh, get tested. And if you test within, if you test negative within three days, you still can go. So it's just all over the place, doctor. What, what, what do you recommend we do? What, what can we do as a community oh, or individual or business? It is yes it is really a problem and probably the first step is stepping back and saying what have we done we have allowed tv journalists to practice medicine on us tv journalists the tv tells you how to treat your own body not only that tv journalists are telling you how to interpret the the first amendments of the constitution how to interpret your own civil liberties and whether or not you can control your body and to what extent you can 
uh, how did we let things get quite that bad? So as soon as the person can step back from that and say, wait a minute, I have some agency here. Okay, I can be in control of my own body and I can make my own healthcare decisions. I'm capable of doing that, not only for the present, but for the future as well. I'm capable of talking to my own family about my opinions and not have it, you know, get shouted down uh, by somebody else. So, yeah, that, that really is a problem. Now, I would say that once a person realizes they're able to make some healthcare decisions and, and have some choices, then what can they do to, uh, to really, you know, prevent a bad case of COVID-19? Here's what I personally do. I do not prescribe for some individual that I have never met uh, in consult. In other words, somebody who's not my patient, I can't say, oh, well, you need this much of this or this much of that. What I do is I can tell you what I do myself. And I feel that 14,000 units of vitamin D per day is a good dose. And that's even talking from somebody who's living in Arizona, which is one of the sunniest places on earth. And I make sure I get some, a good amount of sunshine. So uh, even with that, I take 14,000 units per day. And to be honest with you, since researching for this book, I, 130 of the studies in this book is on vitamin D alone. But vitamin D is amazing against COVID. It's as if it was made for COVID. And, and the vitamin D population, deficient populations around the world are the same populations that have the highest rates of COVID. So there's so much overlap there that, um, I, you know, I'm so convinced of it now that now I'm even asking my cancer patients to take 14,000 units a day. Okay, just to put that in perspective, you know, I've been practicing medicine with cancer patients 14 years, and I've had them take 10,000 units a day of vitamin D in general, you know. And um, But uh, now I'm asking them to take 14,000 and I do it myself because we have a policy at our clinic, Equipoise. I'm, I don't give patients anything that I'm not willing to take myself. Okay, so, you know, I joke with them. I say, okay, I'll be the first to take it. If I die, please don't do it yourself. And um, I'm still waiting for the chemotherapy oncologists to do that, to take their own medicine. But uh, I guess I won't <laughs> hold my breath. Yeah, yeah, that would, be, that would be pretty tough. So you mentioned vitamin D. What is it about vitamin D that is so effective against COVID, against uh, this, uh, this virus? Well, it has so many mechanisms. It stops the transcription of RNA viruses. This is an RNA virus. Um, it really strengthens all of the immune system, all of the innate immune system, which is the immune system we share with the entire uh, rest of the animal kingdom. Um, and we only, the, the other part of the immune system that vaccines work on, not too many animals even have that. And uh, that's not quite as important the part that the vaccines work on. But the innate immune system is very um, heavily strengthened and depends on vitamin D. Vitamin D is required for life. We can't live without it. So part of what uh, we do without it, part of the um, damage to our body is the damage to the immune system. So it enables our macrophages to make uh, one of the strongest poisons against viruses and bacteria that's catholicidin. And, um, you know, it doesn't hurt the human, but it really does hurt the viruses and bacteria. It, it helps the macrophages make uh, hydrogen peroxide, which is very effective against uh, viruses and bacteria. So vitamin D, uh, also vitamin D can turn the immune system away from a pro-inflammatory state where we're damaging ourselves. 
and you know having the lungs fill up like happens with the COVID patients it can turn the immune system away from doing all that and doing and changing the focus over toward killing viruses or stopping viruses so oh also vitamin d is important for kind of uh inhibiting the renin angiotensin system and this is just you know it's normally thought of how we maintain our blood pressure and the water balances our in our body but it also creates ace uh angiotensin converting enzymes sorry is that, that's the uh, that's the receptor by which SARS-CoV-2 enters our cells so vitamin D kind of suppresses that so does vitamin C but anyway vitamin D uh really suppresses that so there's several ways in which um vitamin D is um helping to prevent COVID but the overlap between um vitamin D deficient folks and the people who've suffered from COVID is very strong overlap for example, um, you know, 78% of COVID-19 patients are obese. Well, the thing about obesity is that an obese person would require more vitamin D and they, many don't know that. So then they don't get extra vitamin D. And the reason is, is because it's, uh, vitamin D is fat soluble. It stays in the fat in the body. So then it's kind of diluted there in the peripheral fat, but not in the central mechanisms of the body where we need it. You know, so that's why an obese person would require more. And then as seniors, you know, um, uh, have less vitamin D. They tend to. And people have been convinced, oh, the sun is your enemy. You must stay indoors. That was, unfortunately, they got bamboozled badly on that one. Uh, <laughs> people will put carcinogenic sunscreens on their skin and avoid the sun. That is a huge mistake. I mean, wow. if, if the sun were our enemy, then our distant ancestors, the farmers, the fishermen among them, uh, wouldn't have, uh, you know, they, they, we would know that they had died of skin cancers, but that was relatively rare. That's very interesting. For our distant ancestors, yeah. So my next question, you mentioned uh, ivermectin, and you seem like you're very enthusiastic about that. Please explain to our listeners a little about ivermectin. Ivermectin should be a household word. It was one of the greatest discoveries of the 20th century. Uh, it's been around since 1975, and it has been such a lifesaver in equatorial Africa. You know, kind of that middle rectangle of Africa near the equator, where um, people have had an, even one annual oral dose of ivermectin as being an effective antiparasite. Now you might think, okay, what's that got to do with COVID? Well, it also turns out that it's almost like ivermectin was made for COVID because when it comes to SARS-CoV-2, like, for example, there are three parts of the spike protein, right, that, that comes into our cells from SARS-CoV-2. There are three parts to it. Now, we would be lucky if ivermectin shut down just one of those proteins, but we're even luckier than that because ivermectin shuts down all three of those proteins. I, uh, all three of those parts of the spike protein, ivermectin shuts down, blocks, inhibits, won't allow, you know. And then of, the, of several dozen substances studied, ivermectin also happens to bind the most tightly to this enzyme RNA-dependent RNA polymerase. So that, that is just an enzyme that is necessary for viral replication. In other words, ivermectin totally stopped viral replication at that point, um, at that enzyme. And not only that, uh, ivermectin won't even let uh, SARS-CoV-2 into the nucleus of our cells. Ivermectin has been fantastic against 
COVID. It's just been absolutely wonderful. But here's the problem. It's less than 10 cents on the U.S. dollar in much of the world. So, uh, well, you know, investors don't get all that excited about, you know, and you only need like five pills, like one pill a day for five days or something uh, for, co for a case of COVID. So if you can defeat a case of COVID for less than a U.S. dollar, oh, man, that isn't exciting for the investors. I see where you're going with this. I definitely do. So my, my next my next question is, okay, so you so you're writing you're writing this book and you've um, you have this information about 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 COVID-19 and vitamin D and ivermectin. Please talk about the book. And then more importantly, why didn't Dr. Fauci talk about the information that you have? I mean, he's a doctor, right? Why didn't he? Why doesn't he know? about these alternatives and why is such why is he such a strong uh advocate of this vaccine well i think he did know uh because i don't know if he's got some amnesia but uh, back in 2005 he was looking at sars one uh which was about uh, 2003 and he was so impressed with the effect of hydroxychloroquine against sars one that he wrote, this functions not only as uh, preventative, but as uh, effective treatment. So, and he, he wrote that in the, under the NIH. So, but then, uh, you know, SARS-1 is really not all that different from SARS-2. It's so similar that the reason that East Asia hasn't been hit with uh, many hospitalizations and deaths is that SARS-1 hit them pretty bad. And 17 years later, they're, they're still having uh, herd immunity, which is helping them against SARS-2. They have T-cell immunity, which is effective against SARS-2, and they got it 17 years ago when they were fighting SARS-1. Um, so the, the two viruses are very, very similar. And, and Dr. Fauci knows that too. But, you know, this is a doctor who I've, I've been aware of uh, for a couple of decades peddling the flu shot to an increasingly bored audience, you know? He'd be trotted out on the talk shows, you know, every fall and winter and say, oh, Dr. Fauci, is this gonna be an especially dangerous flu season? And Fauci would say, oh yes, this will be an especially uh, bad flu season. Everybody please go out and get your flu shot. And then the journalists would repeat, yes, yes, please go get your flu shot. Okay, so, uh, you know, but, but the public had grown increasingly bored with that. One, we're all familiar with people who felt lousy after a flu shot and other people who got the flu and got over it. And so, you know, we assess these risks from familiarity and we take our chances. And he wasn't uh, having much effect. Well, um, you know, I think it was about 2018 or 2017 when Fauci said, during President Trump's first term, there will be an unprecedented uh, pandemic and it will be really bad. Right. So he he was waiting for this one. And now he's, you know, he's uh, been coronated as king of public health. And uh, OK, so it, it just all fell into place a little bit too neatly. So naturally, anything that comes along and so, and just, you know, puts that away. Anything like vitamin D, hydroxychloroquine or ivermectin, which can wrap up a case of COVID pretty quickly and including in late stage patients. Um, you know, th that doesn't want to be uh, heard because there's a lot more political and every other kind of mileage to be gained from these vaccines and masks and, you know, the works.
So reading between the lines, I, I think what I'm hearing from you is that he's been the infectious disease czar from ever since like 2001 or something. I guess when he, he and Bill Gates uh, sort of met informally back in the early 2000s. So what I'm, what I'm hearing between the lines is Dr. Fauci would come out and say, this is going to be a tough flu season. Everyone needs to go out and get the flu shot. And that's prepping right. the people to get these shots every year. And then 2017, 2018, because I saw that video where he said that 2020, we would be hit by another, uh, like a like a COVID-19. I think he may even use the word COVID or maybe he said SARS. So what you're saying is that he set up, he set up the public to be trained yeah. to get these shots. So when COVID hit, we, we should have been trained to just rush right to the to our nearest pharmacy or our, our nearest healthcare provider to get this vaccine. That's what I think I'm hearing, Dr. Colleen. I think so too, because <laughs> the flu shot failed, the, the flu failed to scare us adequately. We weren't scared of the flu anymore. So the same, same old people went and got the flu shot every year and the rest of us didn't, didn't get it. And so I think something uh, far more scary was needed. So, uh, oh, this, you know, and so by awesome. the way, Fauci did, well, you know, Fauci spent American taxpayer dollars in the Wuhan Institute of Virology uh, on gain of function viruses. I mean, he, that's already, that paper trail has been established, right? That he actually purchased, uh, you know, SARS-CoV-2. I mean, there's a yeah, lot of a patent. Yeah. I yeah. saw that. Mm. That you know what? So I'm, I'm saying that this whole thing seems to be is very suspicious at at, at the least, very suspicious. So if you can talk about talk yeah. about your book and will you speak about it publicly and when and where can people come out and and hear you speak or where can they go online to hear you talk about the, your book? Well, my book just got censored. Um, Changing Hands Bookstore is a bookstore in Tempe and Phoenix, Arizona. And, um, you know, it's a pretty, uh, it's been around a long time. In 2007, Publishers Weekly called it uh, the best bookseller of the year. And, uh, and you know, it's a fun store people uh, like to go to. But uh, yesterday I was told, well, we can't have you do a presentation on your book because we, quote, we believe very strongly in masks. And you have some chapters in there uh, that challenge the masks. And uh, we've had people come into the store and they were, um, you know, debating our staff and we can't have that. So I won't be uh, presenting it at Changing Hands at this point. I have been, I, I talked to uh, Daniel Horowitz last week and um, he, I, it, that was a uh, podcast that we did regarding my book. So, and I will be uh, speaking with a couple of other who will be interviewing me in the near future uh, regarding the book. Uh, Bill Spedia is going to uh, interview me. Um, Giuseppe Van Fanculo is going to um, interview me. And um, yeah, that's, those are some upcoming things that I have. And I haven't heard back yet from uh, some other booksellers. Wow. So you said, so you're saying your, your venues are now being censored where you can't meet people in public and talk about 
uh, some of the information and your knowledge about this subject. Yes, and when the Changing Hands representative told me, uh, you know, we're, we don't want you to say anything against masks here because we believe strongly in them. She said, we do believe in uh, differing viewpoints, but uh, about masks, we believe very strongly. So I said to her, you know, our research team has looked at over 200 studies from the peer-reviewed published medical literature, and what we found is that masks injured every organ in the body that we looked at. But uh, she didn't want to talk about that further. So, I mean, when your belief system is challenged, I guess it can be a little bit painful. So um, there wasn't much more to that conversation. Well, I'll tell you what. I'm, I'm glad that you. I'm glad that you found some venues and some avenues to uh, get the word out and talk about this subject because I believe, honestly, more and more people are starting to wake up, and that's why here in California. They have reported that uh, almost 300,000 people who took the first the first vaccine have not returned for the second vaccine. Interesting. That's a lot of people. And yeah. yesterday it was reported that the supply exceeds the demand now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because people now are starting I, to to figure it out that it's that it may not be needed, and then some people are figure or hearing that some people are getting sick and then a, a smaller number of people are actually, you know, dying from, from these, these vaccines. Yeah. So the, it's, yeah, you know, unfortunately. It's, so it's not that, uh, um, the, the, the effectiveness is not to me based on what I'm hearing. And I know people who have, who have gotten sick. So it's not like made up people. I actually know people who have gotten sick and I know friends who have lost relatives uh, to the vaccine. I do too. I know people in both categories. Uh, a man who uh, lost his dad, uh, dad died the day after the vaccine. The dad was uh, healthy and active. And um, yes, and I, other people, uh, numerous other people who have gotten sick. <clears throat> yes, that is definitely a problem. And What's not it? only that, um, one must uh, consider that the average age of death for COVID is 81. But uh, the vaccine uh, apparently is killing a lot of young people. I mean, we just saw in the news today about a 15-year-old in Colorado, or a 16-year-old in other states, uh, just dead the, uh, right after their vaccines. Okay, so Dr. Huber, you had one more comment to make about this whole situation. What is it? Something a little bit alarming just happened. Uh, Nature is considered maybe the premier scientific journal in the world. They just published an op-ed by a Dr. Peter Hotez. Now, Peter Hotez has been not only pro-vax, but rather aggressively so. And he's advocated that anti-vaxxers be silenced in one way or the other. Now, he just put an op-ed in Nature saying that he thinks even law enforcement should come after people who criticize the vaccine. Um, so, unfortunately, Dr. Hotez is, seems to be almost as clueless as Joe Biden about the First Amendment to the U.S. Constitution. And uh, he's actually advocating the law enforcement uh, stop people from expressing uh, information and opinion. Uh, I think that's a real problem for this Nature Journal because they have been considered the premier scientific journal in the world. And now they put somebody like that on saying some uh, really bad uh, poop, uh, crazy stuff and uh, that doesn't make them look too good yeah that almost sounds like some pre some 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 pre-world war ii type uh 
uh, 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 what do you call it? Uh, not hyperbole, but propaganda. <laughs> that sounds like yes. let's shut up the public because we don't want them to talk about something that we are uh, uh, pushing. That doesn't sound too right. nice, Dr. Hope, Dr. Hoover. That doesn't sound too nice at no. all. It doesn't. And uh, yes, I mean, for somebody to put out such a blatantly, you know, ignorant proposal regarding the First Amendment to the U.S. Constitution, that people exercising the right of free speech should be uh, harassed or targeted by law enforcement, that's uh, that's not proper. And I doubt that any law enforcement would, uh, you know, be silly enough to try that. I don't think that that would be the case. Well, do you have if you, if you can, please send a link to that article if you have it if you have that those links and i will put them in the body of this uh podcast description so people can look it up and read it for themselves yes okay i will i will look for that and i will send it to you well i tell you what dr colleen huber uh, how can people get a hold of you where's your website and uh just you know close us out with that information well uh the book is on amazon the defeat of covid and nice. uh well i mean my website uh is not updated with the book yet but uh it really ought to be soon colleenhuber.com um but uh, the defeat of covid has just come out on amazon uh, last week colleen huber is based out of tempe arizona and she's a third time podcast guest on the real people usa uh, podcast and dr huber i want to thank you for your time today Thanks so much, Rick. It's a pleasure talking to you. All right. Make it a great day.